Welcome to the Better Bozo. Better bozo. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm here to, to be even better of a bozo than, than last time. So. See, now we're really walking our talk, Peter, all of yeah. us, because <laughs> this is a great, I think, learning moment. Meek and I sort of lost our minds last time and didn't ask you some really important questions. And so you graciously agreed to come back on. Um, <clears throat> so thank you, man. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. I feel much less nervous this time. Like mm. I'm not, you guys are not as uh, scary anymore. Great. So you're not a little trembling mouse in the big cave no. of the shadows. <laughs> no, it's totally different now. It feels <laughs> diff- like, yeah, I don't even know where we are. Yeah. Well, here's the, just to clarify at least my intention, because I really enjoyed our last conversation. Um, I didn't. I didn't enjoy it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff had a shit time, but I had a great time. Um, Mostly because I love the topics that it feels like we're all involved with, and they all seem to overlap. And I can totally get lost in really interesting conversation with really good people. Um, But what I'd like to do today, and I'd like to hear what you'd like to do today too, is essentially. be hopefully more helpful for our fellow bozos. Totally. In a, in a sense, narrow down our topics as as much actually as we possibly can to like, let's bring it down to like one thing. Keep it super simple because as a bozo, I know that's often really helpful. And, and, and also even maybe define it as a tool. I'd like for us to be like, here's our box, the better bozo toolbox. Um, and to be here's just a tool. And here's another tool for us to to work with. And this is the way Peter uses these tools or the way Peter understands these tools uh, in his box. Great. This is the way Peter handles his tool. (laughs) Now you had to go there. You had to go there. You put it on a T, dude. Like I I could not resist. Uh, I also want to take a little sidebar. I like the fellow bozos and I turn that into fellowzos and a a, a, a bozo ship instead of a fellowship. So we just a whole new branch of the bozo empire got created just then. So, Oh, nice. I love all that. Yeah. Thanks. A fellowzo ship. And on that note, Peter, if you are willing, I think one of the things, and I don't take this for granted, that I understand that you do and you do well, um, is what we've come to call men's work. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, And I know we touched on it in our previous conversation, but actually I don't want to take it for granted. Men's work can be a lot of different things. So I'd love to dive in with you and understand what you consider men's work to be mm-hmm. um, and and to zoom in even further. And we don't have to dive in that far yet, but like in, a, in, in I'd love to understand your take on men's groups, which might not be which might be like a branch off from what men's work is. Mm-hmm. Cool. yeah, what's men's work, I guess. I guess men's work is men reckoning with, uh, you know, the, the softer side of, of, um, experience or, uh, the, the harder 
experience, the sort of second half of life, the, uh, the, the downfall in some ways, like the descent maybe for some, um, I, I, I think I'm just reckoning in my brain because, uh, when I say all that, you know, I think about people in their forties, you know, and fifties coming into men's work, like coming in kind of like out of a marriage that just dissolved or kids are, are out or off to college. And it's like, now what, or, you know, losing a job or a relationship or something. But you know, a lot of the people the, that I work with are actually in their, you know, twenties, uh, thirties, a lot of thirties. Um, and it feels like a lot of times what they're looking for is almost like, it's almost like they see that reality coming uh-huh. and they don't want that. They want, they, or maybe they're already in a relationship or they're the new parents and they're, they're seeing, okay, I want to get, I want to get out ahead of this. I want to get in front of this. I don't need to come in, you know, having just struck out or, or having this kind of, um, this fall, you know, I, I can, I can kind of get in front of this and, and it seems like they are maybe already aware it's it, in a weird way, you know, it's like our fathers or like our father's generation was so like strong and stoic that when in like the eighties, when they sort of sort of def- sort of like settle out in their forties, there was like this shock of like, this is not so how it was supposed to happen. This is not supposed to be how it goes. And then for guys coming up now or having come up, you know, in this rough time, rough meaning like approximate, like there's a way in which it's not been news to us that the patriarchy doesn't make sense. It's not been news to us that like a lot of this stuff the environmental and economic problems and race problems are like, not like, like they were created and they, we want to move away from them. And so there are men who, you know, that are strong men, that are sensitive men, that are soulful men that are coming to say, okay, I want to reckon with this. And of course, that'd be the next question. What does that all look like? But something in their, in their younger time, and sometimes, you know, much younger than that. So I kind of just, just, just stopped really abruptly there, but no, I love it. And I always notice that Jeff takes a couple of seconds to process. And I always appreciate that. Cause I'm kind of, Oh wait, I have so much to say. So I'm waiting for a second. <laughs> cool, man. I appreciate your attunement. That's what we call that shit, man. We call that attunement. Yeah, put that in your toolbox. Box. It's called attunement when you wait and listen. Yeah. And that's, uh, I was about to make an old person reference that's not you moving your rabbit ear antennas on your tv but most people be like what the fuck are you talking about man uh that's not you're that not means. that old jeff come on <laughs> tell me you're not that but, old. i used to do that man i was the remote control for my dad you know right where you turn the channels on the tv manually totally we had those and then they're like one channel would be like snow and then like two channels that were pretty good and then yeah. like three channels that were like kind of like Lines, yeah, lots of lines and skipping. But if it was your favorite show, you'd grit it out. The kind of resilience PBS, we had to develop. Like, you get PBS perfectly, and you'd be like, "Great, that's what I get perfectly." <laughs> All right. Wait. Before that rabbit hole, I'm going to use that rabbit hole and appreciate a lot of what you were saying about generations and the difference between generations. Baby boomers, mm-hmm. uh, Zen Gen Xers. I don't know what you define yourself as. I define myself as a Zennial between. Gen Xers and Millennials. How old are um, you? I uh, I was born in eighty one. Okay, 
Yeah, I was born in 78, and, and I remember when Gen X first came out with the movie Singles and with, the, like, those kinds of movies, you know, like Janine Garofalo and, like, uh-huh. now it's supposed to be Gen X. And I remember just being like, those guys are, like, 10 years older than me. I'm not Gen X. <laughs> Yet. And then no. all of a sudden, the, the, it's all commercial. Then they just decided to shuffle me. Now I'm like, all of a sudden I'm Gen X. But we were never Gen Xers up until about 10 years ago. That's I don't know right. Xennials, that... <sighs> man. Peter, Xennial, look it up. It's good. How, okay, well, how old are you, Peter? Then. 41. 41. Okay, I'm 48. We have a pretty nice distribution here. Nice spread here, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had a similar thing, Peter, when you were talking about the the age range approximately of men that gravitate to you, 20-somethings, 30-somethings that actually are kind of ahead of it. Um, I got curious about how you reconcile if you've got, a, say, a 54-year-old who just went through a super shitty divorce and doesn't know who, who he is because he doesn't fit in today's world. And now has his ass handed to him on a platter uh, relative to some 20-something who's like, teach me, Peter, you know, help me, which is very different. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed more and more. I mean, the more I practice, the more I'm sort of getting, figuring out, you know, who my avatar is, like who it is I'm thinking of, who I'm reaching to, who is receiving that message and is really like right there. And, um, you know... Uh, I I I definitely have had men come and contact me in their fifties and sixties, uh, late forties, um, with a lot of that. And you know, I, I, I have sometimes I've approached it as like, well, what do in my earlier time I would have approached as like, what do I know? But then what I realize is what this man needs. I don't know what this man needs, but I can do my best to approximate the grief and the transition that he's going through and uh, ask him the question that his soul is owed by some, by someone else, whether they be a men's worker or anyone with uh, some sensitivity and attention to ask him a kind of questions of weight and gravitas and be willing to, in spite of my own beliefs, whether they be right or wrong of my own sort of uh, ability or, uh, you know, development to be able to bear witness to those answers, to actually hang in there and bear witness to those answers and be with them in that. Um, and sometimes that's helpful and, 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 and we have a long relationship in that way. And other times it's kind of a cool, thanks to that, I'm going to keep going. But there's another factor, which is not everybody is really up for the change that this descent heralds, right? Because so much of the culture is still going to say to them, they're going to come out of your session and the the culture is telling them, get back at it. You can do it. Don't worry about it. Get back up. Suck it up. You know, so there's a way in which it really doesn't matter uh, what you do if that person isn't ready to open the door and go down and do what their their soul is asking them to do. Which which can be a... a, um Equally a 25-year-old exactly. or a 55-year-old. And don't it's, we know that? You know, you, I mean, I imagine, Jeff, in your practice, like you can kind of tell when someone walks in the room or you have a pretty good idea. Is this someone that wants to do the work or doesn't? I, I, I feel like I often can tell pretty quickly how far this person wants to go. Yeah, I agree, Peter. I do really hold strongly to allowing myself to be surprised. Totally. Um, and you owe that to, to their soul, I feel. Well, I really appreciate how you said that, that their soul, asking the question their soul is owed feels really beautiful to me. Mm. Um, and, and where I land with you on that, Peter, is as I refine who I am and what I'm up to as a practitioner, as a therapist, a guide, a men's group leader, 
um, I can I can only really bring who I am, and and a lot of that I'm yes. learning is asking good questions so that each of us fairly can understand, well, is this actually a good fit? Mm -hmm. And do I have what you need? Mm -hmm. Is what I'm offering something you can receive? And Mm -hmm. we might be getting to a question that I want to ask that I'm imagining is fomenting and Mika, but around the value of men's work. And I want to swing this back to men's groups, um, if that feels all right. Yeah, I'm just going to piggyback on that. I I still am curious if we can actually reach a to what end. When you're asking the question the soul is owed, when you're, uh, you know, when right now, when we're having this conversation or with you're with on a in a one on one or uh, or in a circle of men, can either of you tell me what's what's the goal here? What is the end? Can we name that? Is that a nameable thing at all? Is that a fair question? I have an idea of how I name it. Mm-hmm. Um, I name it as um, um, be, being uh, moving closer and closer to living a life that is on balance, directed by the soul, directed by the the still small voice. Um. Um enough space so that I can orient my life uh, towards uh, a larger identity than um, the sort of small egoic reacting identity. I like that. Mm. Jeff, what are you thinking? Well, it made me think of Jason Lang, actually. Um who we had on episode seven. I know Jason. Oh, oh great. Yeah. Uh, and, and you'll probably really appreciate this and you might already know it, but Jason talked about men's biggest regret is not failure. It's not trying something. It's not risking something, not engaging mm-hmm. in something. Um, and, and that, that lines up for me with what you just shared, Peter. Mm is be in the world with something larger than ourselves, right? The, the, the soul's calling as opposed to the ego's chatter. Totally. Yeah. I mean, don't we always feel like it's, it's the things that we, I was just thinking about this earlier today about some of the, the, the risky choices I took the safe side of that now at this age, I can't take back. And I would have wished that I would have taken Mm. the, the other road. Can you give us one of those examples where you regret, like, damn it. Oh, man, this feels embarrassing. <laughs> That's, That's what extra juicy. For. Yeah, then bring it. <laughs> bring it on. I'll share one. I'll share one if you we share We can one. all share one. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, so let me go first. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's right. No stalling, <laughs> Peter. <laughs> um, that way you do you, it and we will say, psych. Just you kidding. You know, I, I've, I've been, um, for me, uh, Psychedelics have, have I, I had my first experience of psychedelics when I was in my uh, late teens, and it was a terrifying, um, too soon experience in that way, and, and took apart and at the same time opened my psyche in ways that I both wasn't ready for, and in a lot of reasons are why I'm here today. Um, it was just like blew my mind, and didn't touch them again for twenty years, and um, you know. Uh, 
my partner and I um, are uh, we're public with this now. We're not getting ready to have a baby. So. <laughs> Congratulations! Thank you, Jeff. Already know. I told Jeff, but we weren't going to. We kept anyway, it in the bag. We kept Mazzato! it in the bag. That's great news. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And and, and uh, just that there was um, an opportunity to, and, and I have worked with with more and more psychedelics over the past few years. Um, you know, natural plant ones and South American ones, and 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 uh, you know, uh, whatever mushrooms, different things like that. But the point is, like, um, I had an opportunity to do that with a friend just a couple days before she and I came back together after having just found out we were pregnant and we were going to both go to Mount Rainier and we were going to do this thing. And, and it just felt, it felt, um, too scary, honestly, mm. like I, it was too much at stake. It felt like, and when I look back on that, I think, gosh, that, you know, these, this is that category. And so when you brought that up just now, Jeff, it has me thinking about right, right now in my day to day, I'm, I'm not, do I, I've, I've had a kind of knowing in my life for the past 10 years or so that like, I am not necessarily a man who needs to be on the path of psychedelics and plant medicines. It's like not my path. Like yeah. I have, have found other ways of revelation and other ways of knowing. And so I'm not dwelling on that so much, but I'm, I'm with like, what is there right in front of me today? What is the in breath to what way of being in the world that I'm not stepping to. And so it's just a reminder of, of that warrior spirit, which every time I'm reminded of it, when I'm working with other men, it's like, it's like, Oh yeah. It's like this rehydrating of this way of being. And, and so, yeah, I, th I think that's a really good, good, good reminder for me of like, how can I show up to the inspired actions that are coming through my, you know, menu moment to moment this day and every day. Mm. Mm, I like that. The relation from that to men's work is a, I, what I'm hearing you say. I'm he you guys I, are going to have to make sure you give me yours, though. I'm trying to. It's fair. It's fair. I'm not avoiding it. But Jeff's next. Oh, um, yeah. Cool. Cool. And then well, we're going to be out of time, Peter. Sorry. <laughs> um, but what I am hearing is I mean, did, you haven't used the word, but the word integrity is just flashing in big neon lights. Like, the, how do we show up? And not necessarily for the uh, how we show up for the rest of the people in our lives, but how are we integrity with ourselves in our own journey um, for our own sense of fulfillment? Yeah, I think that's that feels good. That feels true. Yeah. Like, how am I... Uh, do I do what I say I'm going to do in community? And then... Am I at my edge in my own sense of what I could be up to, mm. and the distance between the, the 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 truth that you know and 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 that being like, you know, the further that is, the bigger soul crisis, you know, a person, a man is having at any given but, moment, twenties. 30s, 50s, 60s. Yeah, although I think it gets bigger, obviously, because there's a certain there's less time to change the trajectory the older you get, right? And that's why the, the you know, and the yeah. patterns were entrenched in totally harder to change to turn yep. the ship. The thing that comes up for me, and I was going to use a similar analogy, the turning of the ship, which I like a lot, <clears throat> the warrior spirit. Um, one of the books that was really foundational for me was the the way of the peaceful warrior by dan millman mm -hmm. and i've read it probably four times i actually just reread it about two three months ago 
Mm. Um, and that notion and the dynamic of peaceful warrior, because warrior spirit, the way it landed for me, and I don't think you were saying this, but I want to clarify, take every opportunity you ever can and do it, do it, do it. You know, just that mm. w- aggressive and I think pathological Nike slogan, just do it. No fear, that kind of bullshit. Because um, <laughs> that course is going to just ground us into the rocks or take us off the cliff every time. It's just stupid uh, evolutionarily, mm. as is always taking the safe path you're going to die. If you don't risk mm. something, you will die literally in the wild. I've got to risk catching this animal. I got to risk eating this herb. I don't know if it'll poison me, you know, cause I've got to live. So it feels like if the course is always steered towards playing it safe, my recommendation would be take a risk motherfucker, like, you know, and do it consistently for a while so that you then get a sense of, well, what's a risk that I'm still in my warrior spirit with that I maybe won't take. And that's the prudent choice. Mm. Uh, versus, you know, young buck that does every crazy, you know, bungee jumping, you know, leaps right. off a building and, you know, sort of useless adrenaline junkie shit. Uh, well, hey, maybe you slow down and chill out, man, and listen for, say, I don't know, a deeper call than just, I'm going to do that. Yeah, and I think when I was speaking to Warrior Spirit is, is, is like you said, like, you know, you're in a river and the spirit that you summon before you run the big rapids or the spirit that you summon before you go Hmm. that last push when you're hiking, but that can come in in moments when we were just, we were just talking about like, what are the things that we're the risks or opportunities we're not seizing. And for me, there's a moment where I recognize like, Oh my gosh, I have a body. Oh my gosh. Like I have a life. Like I have, I have freedom. There's like a whole world out in front of me. Like, what ways is my conditioning keeping me kind of small and, and, you know, sort of like timid in the presence of not like bonkers adolescent stuff. That's just going to get me killed, but like actually like living in the presence of, of, of my vitality and, and allowing that to move through me and do new and, and, and exciting things that maybe have some then synchronicity that happens along with them and the adventure that, that, you know, what, in what ways are we, are we abdicating our, our responsibility as adventurers moment to moment? And that takes me back to what you were saying about our, I'm, I'm just going to use our fathers as a reference to a generation. And I can, and you know, this is generalizing, but you know, the generation that went off, got a career and to a certain extent had to turn off. I know my father came home late, left early just to, you know, pay the mortgage, put food on the table. And that routine lasted decades of his life. Mm-hmm. And I know that in hindsight, looking back, is like, wow, great. I'm glad you were a responsible father for that. But I also can't help but think that was a massive sacrifice of living fully, which I think you're calling us through my understanding what I'm hearing you say is men's work to not do. We can stay yeah. alive. We can stay that, present. That's that James Hillman line, right? Isn't it like the, the, the worst gift a father can give is to his son or his child is his unlived life mm. or something like that. Mm. Nice. Yeah. That's beautiful. And that's, that's one I'll offer to clients a lot that talk about what they don't want their children to have because they had this horrible, terrible thing. And they overcorrect so far in the opposite direction, right? Like thinking of the dad who never wants to have fighting in the family. 
And what ends up happening is, well, the mom just trounces everybody, including him and his daughter, uh, because he's so averse to a particular outcome. Yeah, that's one thing that can happen. And another way that can happen is, and so what I I orient right here in that is a man is remembering, right, his violent father and is hating it so much. And therefore he resolves to do nothing like it. And in a way, mm-hmm. uh, that has its own violence because, but there's another way that men can, um, and maybe this is the same, but I just, to flesh out the concept more, because I think it's an important component of men's work as well as like how we relate to our fathers and our mothers yeah. and how we relate to the the legacy of them is like when we turn back towards and face that dying mother and father, the aging mother and father, if any part of our, however much part of our experience is this like damning, um, hating that either turns into, I'm going to do the opposite or I'm so focused on the hating of this, that it twists inside my soul in a weird, like reverse energetic way in that because I have not been able to bless the, the medicine that did come through you, it twists on its way through me and becomes this like perverse sort of billiard ball effect going down the line. And that the move, this, the move is to turn back and to thank the father. And I learned this from Carl Bukite, you know, place the picture of the father up and thank the father and um, ask for his blessing and, and thank him for your life, even though he was so violent or so passive or whatever it is and then because that that way by not hating that behavior or then doing the opposite of it it can kind of come into us and dissolve and we can turn around and just be neutral because that behavior has no charge in us and so it has no free reign to either make us do the opposite Mm -hmm. or just live as like unresolved free radical which can turn into more of the same violence because there's plenty of men who hate the violence of their father and turn around and are still violent towards their kids just in different blind ways Yep. I absolutely agree. I see it often, even in myself. It's a Mm. really humbling process. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to offer my version, Peter. I I, want to make sure we're all in solidarity. So I'm going to go with my, what are we calling it? Like, wish we made a different choice, a little regret situation. Well, we, the, the, the spirit of it was the Jason Lang line. It was like, men don't regret the one thing was right. it that they they regret failing. They re, they regret not taking that that chance or doing that thing that that yeah. that they can't. Yeah. Oh, it, wow. It's interesting what I'm bumping up against. A couple examples have popped to mind, um, and I'm bumping up against. I think some version of the extremism uh, you're pointing to, where I've just gone so far over, because one of my core values is that everything matters. Everything has value. And there's, there's nourishment to be harvested in everything. So perhaps paradoxically, I'm over here thinking, well, well I mean, all those things were meant to be. I don't regret anything. I, I did right. exactly what needed to happen. Um, all part of the, the universe's plan kind of thing. Um, but that, would, that feels like a cop-out. So um, the one that, that, that's coming up now for me is, uh, oh, there's three very interesting time periods to choose from. But I'm going to go with the, probably the biggest one and, and, and in a way the, 
the wildest knowing that I ever was a part of thus far. So when I was uh, probably 25, I moved to Hawaii to stay with a friend. And I was choosing between New Orleans and a friend who lived there at the time and Hawaii with a friend who was living there. And I had gone through some serious heartbreak in Seattle. I was living in Seattle for a few years. And intellectually, I was going to Hawaii to go live in a coffee shack play my guitar and do some soul work. I didn't know that was what it was called, but that was my, that was my thing. So I went over there and I, I stayed with my friend for a while. And, and then I, I rented a room in a house and, uh, it was temporary. And I had this job at a nursery plant nursery. And then I got another job in this sweet little town called Kainalio, the Aloha cafe, working as a, like a sous chef for this chef named Steven sweet little place <clears throat> and and also had gotten calls back from people that said hey got a coffee shack you can come live in it uh I bought a crappy car from a friend and I got this job as a cook and I went to give notice at the nursery really counting on my margins were really thin I went to give notice in the nursery two weeks and as soon as I told the co-owner she was like Nope, you're done today. We're not going to keep training you. Bam. And so I was out two weeks of really essential income for me. Mm. Uh, and then calling, sort of freaking out with the cook job, the gal who hired me also kind of freaked out and was like, oh, what are you backing out? What, what's going on? And basically rescinded the offer. Um, and the regret here is that I didn't stick it out. Mm -hmm. The regret is that I didn't just figure it out like a way my brain basically melted at that point and I just sold everything uh and and moved back to the states and ended up uh impregnating the mother of my children the day I returned so there's a whole wow. wild cosmic thing wow going Holy on wow Jeff yeah dude no and it was really one of those like we were the having sex the exclamation mark at the end of that story was like <laughs> oh that's not, not that's okay that was, that was worth the setup <laughs> yeah thanks thanks I set up as sort of my blessing and curse some people say I talk too long and, and get to the point uh, but even when I was having sex with the eventual mother of my children right after I said you're pregnant she said no I'm not I said yes you are she said no I'm not and I'm like you are pregnant this was then wow. within minutes. And sure enough, she was pregnant with our son, Claiborne, who's now 22. Wow. Who's so, a great guy. He's a and great a blessing guy. blessing to the world. Thank you, Mika. That's lovely. <laughs> he is a great guy. So the, the, this is a bold band of like, here's this yeah, exactly. thing. Like I want to, I want to like, like I said, live in a coffee shack and be up in the mountains and, and be in this. I mean, if anybody of you have been to the Big Island, it's intense. I felt like such a Howley and an outsider and a white dude. And I felt that this was one of those places. And I've lived in many of these places where they say you either are accepted very, very quickly or they chew you up and spit you out. And I was unsummarily fucking spit out of Hawaii. Um, <laughs> clearly to go father two children. <laughs> so uh, not to oversimplify. But that's, that's my example, Peter. I like that. Mm. Thanks, Jeff. Me yes, Mika, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm going to... So there are two things that I have on my mind. One, I you have, have to a story share to share in solidarity. That's right. Two, um, 
just to, just noticing our time and knowing that oh the way we can go on talking means we might not even get to discuss the ins and outs and different kinds of men's groups that we if you, yeah I was going to say you don't have to you don't have to share your story if, if in the interest of time you want to or you can. Well, the, the other thing is, oh, maybe we have to have Peter on for a third episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this bodes well for my ability to be interviewed <laughs> or our ability as interviewers. Let's yeah, take understand. that responsibility. Yeah. Um, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say uh, what it comes down to is I'm appreciating the opportunity. At any given moment, I, I, so I was a youth counselor growing up. I'm, I'm well acquainted with facilitation from a very young age, not mm. in particular around men's work. It was a different orientation. And what I'm appreciating about both your stories is that at any given age, it could be nice. It would have been nice. And I'm just going to share my story in a second. To actually have a men's group or some men or some men around some guidance me for fuck's sake that can, exactly that can reflect of different ages. My story is that at 27, I found myself living in a teepee in northern New Mexico. I did not know from cultural appropriation the way I might you know respect today. After my military service, I was spat out of the military right into political organizing and was so goddamn self-righteous. Jeff knows this side of me very well. Um, that I, I That's what I did and dedicated my life to that. And then it, just as radically to bouncing around the world and finding shit out. And at 27, my father came to visit me in New Mexico and said, son... Maybe you need to go study something in university. Maybe you need to go get yourself an education. And I was so self-righteous about this path that I have chosen and brushed him off and said, no, I'm doing fine. Um, and, and that's great. And today, reaching for 40, I'm like, oh, fuck. My father was not wrong. Like, that could have been that getting a degree under my belt and humbling myself uh, would have helped today and i'm i think it I, I looking back at that point it may have been helpful to not just get that message from my father because that's an easy one and i'm all kinds of angry at baby boomers in general and at my father in particular uh, for the life you know the, the the military and the all yada 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 but the bottom line is to have men around me at different ages that who would been would been able to reflect at me Mika look you're 27 you've lived a, a, an adult chapter and reached thus far without a, a degree without an, a formal education maybe it's a good idea for you to take a deep breath in humility and go get yourself that education it'll be well worth it in 10 years or 20 years down the line when you're looking for a job yeah, and that's the difference between getting that advice from your father and getting the advice from like a, a, a sort of a team yeah. of, of, of trusted elders or that uncle or whoever. But instead, when it comes from the dad, it's always like, screw no, you, dad. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So on that level, I feel like, oh, men's work, that has something to do with it. To be able to have like integrity relationships with other guys in my life who see I mean, what comes to mind here is, you know, the rites of passage or lack thereof, which we did discuss at our previous recording a little bit. Um, but it feels very, very related to 
to men's work and what you're describing here, Peter, as, um, you know, being able to ask the question that the soul is owed. Who around me is doing that and who am I doing that for? Seems to be, a, have has a lot to, you know, uh, woven into what we're calling men's work here. Totally, I love that. I, I love that idea of that, uh, you know, when we're gathered with other men, we can ask each other these difficult questions and, and create that, that kind of negative culture instead of that, that positive rah-rah culture that we're all sort of keeping up with. But, like, there's another kind of culture that is around, uh, you know, like you said, to what end? Because really, what is it? To what to what end? That when we do that for each other, that we can become more of who we are. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of functions that men's work does for me and for the groups that I work with. Like, I, I feel like there are so many different ways, but I think what it ultimately... You know, it's it's about trying to bring ourselves and our and our culture back to uh, connection with our unseparateness. And there's a way in which the experience of man is the kind of uber separation meme. It is like I am individual. I am strong. I am, you know, this and that. And and it has created it in its image. Uh, the capitalism and the and the spirit of individuality and um you know and and I was talking about this on a on a talk or a webinar or whatever I gave a few weeks ago just as the coronavirus came down and noticing the way the coronavirus was in a way a kind of um uh reflection of the bankruptcy of that uh, orientation of separation to the world, right? Because we've had this orientation of separation. We are all separate. And here comes this virus that mm-hmm. is, number one, showing us that we are all absolutely connected. And um, and then when we try to lock down and do all these things to stop it, um, it starts to gear, grind to a halt the gears of this other machine that we built to keep everything going, which was, again, built on separateness. And so we're kind of confronted at every turn in the ways that our 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 um, learned way of fixing reality to uh, maximize uh, our profit and minimize uh, our hardship is ultimately going to close in around us. And so, men's work is kind of like bringing an awareness of that and a seeing of that ahead of time, and also kind of relies on a sort of arc of experience, which has been described in mythopoetic traditions and by many sages of this via negativa of, of letting that uh, sort of childlike orientation to reality where it's like, where is mother's milk and I'm owed it and where is it? And it's not on time releasing of that and, and sort of shedding that like a snake and moving into a more mature uh, identity that can feed and can continue to then go on and feed that that spirit of of reunion, that speed of non separateness, back to the rest of the world. And so, mm. in in a way, I think of it as like I sometimes think of the the concept of man as like if like the dust of ego like settled on our uh, or the dust of separation settled on our forming egos, all of us just as we are like sparkling eyes come out of the womb and. 
maybe like continue to do that for the next, you know, 20 years of our formation. There's a way in which the concept and the, the, the structure or the linguistic and, and like so, social structure of man and manness and masculinity is like, it's the big couch. It like caught so much of the dust and, and it's like so much of all that separation and that concept is just caught up in the propagation of this, this thing called man. And it's like, what is it and why is it here? And why are we perpetuating it? And actually who works for who do I work for it? Or does it work for me? And I think a lot of people are discovering from lots of different corners, whether they be queer activists or race workers or activists or all kinds of things that like this thing actually isn't about man, although man serves as its complicit sort of soldier in the world. What's like the it's host? something deeper. It's the host. It's yeah. something deeper. And it's a, a system of domination, extraction, and exploitation, a system of othering, a system of separation that is uh, in, way, in violation of our humanity and the nature of, of nature. Yeah, <clears throat> the, the, uh, I like the, the image of the couch holding all the yeah, dust. Totally. And, and what came up was like, oh, yeah, that's the patriarchy. And then I thought, oh, the couchiarchy. That's what that yes. is. <laughs> well, you're that's on the, a roll today, The macho <laughs> couchiarchy. But I want to circle all the way back around, Peter, because what came up when you were talking about um, kind of the negative culture, to what, what I was taking is to balance those quote, positive culture. Um, as you describe men's work, it feels like, and I do this in my practice, I move away from valuative terms like good, bad, negative, positive, because I think they're not only not useful sometimes they're actually destructive because it puts us in the binary you are good or you are bad and what i'm getting from you around men's work and this feels true in my practice this is my my goal anyway is honesty it's like Mm -hmm. it has value now value can look infinite ways that it isn't like ooh, am i good now i'm good now right because i went to a men's group or I, i went to therapy one time where where it helps it sounds like you're helping men make sense of well why don't why don't i feel better i'm mm-hmm. i did all the things they told me to i wear the right clothes i got a job i make money i have a pretty girlfriend but i'm fucking miserable as one example in other words, you're saying like help people to step, be able to sort of with clear eyes, be able to look at how their life is structured and determine if that is something that they want to feed or right. work to eliminate. Did, it, and did they actually choose that life, period? Or was it just the life that was chosen for them and they played out the, the their role in this particular script? Because it sounds like you're about pulling the veil back. Because mostly what you're describing, binary culture is very adolescent. Bill Plotkin talks about the patho-adolescence, especially in the West. So it feels very much like you're helping men move into more of initiated adulthood. Yeah, well, if there's not, men love control. And if there's not good or bad or I don't know what to do with it, then I feel uncomfortable. And then it affects my shame or my sense of right. worth. Uh, and I do think you're right that paradox is one of the hallmarks or the ability to hold more than one thought is one of the paradox or the, the hallmarks of a kind of healing uh, way of being in relationship. Again, the, the the separateness, like if there's nothing left to defend, then what can happen when yeah, the, when the right. inner war is over? Yeah. And I, I like uh, Gabriel Roth had a great thing, which I 
I worked with the five rhythms for years and it just lives in me. Mm-hmm. And so much of her work comes through me and a lot of what I do, whether we're in, in, a, in a, you know, a movement space or just on the phone. And she'd said, um, it's not good or bad. It's fixed or fluid. And I thought that was so helpful mm-hmm. because it's like, how, how are we, and that goes to that piece about separateness versus uh, unity. Like when mm-hmm. it's fixed, it's static in a way. It's a, it's a, it's a vestigial representative of that binary when it's fluid, there's the chance for being a representative of the infinite. There's a chance to be in that um, growth mindset. Yeah, to, to fixed or fluid. To like to that. put that in different terminology. Yeah, that's a good tool. Yeah, um, helping in this case men feel more in connection with others and other, uh, maybe even the more than human world, um, not just feeling like, and, and, and I love all of our stories and it feels like, I know I got really in contact with my then self, my 25, 26 year old self of not having a fucking clue what to do and feeling so isolated and so unable to even think that I could call someone or like reach out to someone and ask them what to do. I wasn't even on my map at all. I just remember sitting in my car and crying after I, well, this was fast forward a number of months. That's a whole different thing, but just feeling so alone. Mm. And so and firmly entrenched in this illusion of separateness and, and my identity oh. of, well, I guess I got to figure it out myself because my dad never talked to me about how to figure shit out. He just said, figure it out, basically. Yeah, and I'm just realizing as you're t- talking that so much of, like when I work with clients, a lot of times uh, some of the main things we we'll work with is like, you know, Basically, the inner gremlins that get us stuck. You, Bill talks about loyal soldiers. Um, yeah. You know, Freudian would have been like, you know, like super ego, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, these sort of overlords, these like parental voices, these critic voices and so on. And they're all in a way vestiges of deeply installed beliefs about our separateness. And as we get a taste of something beyond that, then those can, they they start to have less of a use and we can put them to work as the, the sort of guardians of their domain without shaming them out of existence. Because as we know, they don't ever leave. We just sort of, yeah. Well, that that feels like we're, Mika, one second, I definitely want to hear from you. That feels like we're in the train of a tool for men because I, I, I have banged this drum for years, this whole idea that our, uh, feelings of smallness, insecurity, uh, doubt, um, shame, they're never going away. It's right. just, they, they, they change and the volume gets turned down a little bit. And just as importantly, the volume on our wholeness and our wellness and what we love and what we're for gets turned up. So that feels like a potential totally. you know, tool for men uh, uh, around why the hell we would ever go to a men's group. Mika, we got. You see, hey, right there, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface on men's group. And I think that's fine. I'm going to name. We just did scratch our... the surface. That was scratching the surface. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me, <laughs> let me, I'll just, Jeff, what I'm, what I'm uh, pleased with are mm-hmm. two things. Number one, exploring the reason why it's hella important to understand the 
the necessity of men's work to begin with is a whole full-on chapter before we even start talking about men's groups. Men's mm-hmm. groups is one specific tactic, and there are different kinds of men's groups. But the need for it, the, the necessity for, for generations now, we're, we're talking, you know, this isn't just 20 or 30-year-olds. Um, so I, I really appreciate this conversation to just be able to name for us and for our fathers and for our sons, as binary and masculine as that is, because we're talking about men's work. I, I appreciate being able that the three of us can share, like this could have been helpful at a previous chapter in life and how we can show up for the men around us in whatever chapter they're experiencing these days. And hopefully that they can show up for me as well to do this work, to, to create stronger relationships and stronger containers. And I think that's a good segue into what to me feels like is actually a separate conversation um, because of what we've been describing, the individuation of each of us, the separateness that we are born into, the need to do this alone and the realization that, fuck, I can't do this alone. Um, you know, this, we, were, we don't belong to tribes. White men especially are as individuated as can be. And so what feels like the suggestion, and this is questions that I want to ask both of you because I know you both facilitate men's groups of different kind is an emerging, very young idea of what community is going to look like. Safe containers for men to engage other men in because we, we haven't had the opportunity to do that now for, for a number of generations. So this next iteration, I'd love to hear from you too. What it is, is what, what is emerging? Where is that going to lead? What are men's groups going to look like if we work on them in another generation in 20 years? Because it feels to me like the men's groups that I've been in have been super young. We're only just beginning to discuss, oh, right, mm-hmm. we need some rites of passage. But we haven't yet gotten around very, especially not collectively, to suggesting the n- new rites of passage that are that are true for you know, what's going to ring true. So that's, anyway, that's where I'm at with just listening to the two of you. And again, just to say, I really appreciate the, the discussion around men's groups and I'm really looking forward to, oh, these are the containers that we are suggesting that are emerging around us. There wasn't a question there because I'm also aware that we're about three minutes to, to an hour. Um, I mean, and, and do you want to respond, Jeff, or do you want me to? I had something I could say off of it, but go for it, Peter. I mean, just the one thing I, I heard in there that is like this uh, wondering what men's work will look like, you know, in a generation from now. And I, I, I like the question just because, um, you know, as I as we look in the world right now, it's really easy to see both a world in which we have a lot more men's work and also a world in which uh, man as this defended concept gets just like comes roaring back you know and 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 it in a way is is you know i do think that that the the thing that underlies man the story of separation is undergoing a collapse as charles eisenstein points out in so many different ways all the time this story of separation is is in its death throes and so uh just to wrap it up you know when i think about men's work in a generation 
given that the story of separation is uh, all of the defending, notwithstanding all of the 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 death throes and the agony, notwithstanding, um, I think we'll be seeing much more. We'll be seeing a shorter time span. Like I'm seeing people in their 30s. You know, people in, in my dad's generation would have seen men in their 50s and 60s coming into those rooms. If we can get it right and do more young men and more, because by rights, this question of like, what is it to be a man? What am I obliged to offer? How am I obliged to show up? What's in it for me? What is in it for the world when I show up? Who am I serving? These are all questions that should be answered in a, in a healthy culture in a much smaller, much younger time frame. Bill talks, Bill Plotkin talks about stages. It's a stage three question. These are like adolescent questions. These are sort of yeah. quote unquote high school questions, young adolescent questions. What is it? To, so ideally we'd be working with men at the source. We'd be working a lot lower yeah. on that life cycle. <clears throat> I appreciate that, Peter. And it jives with a thought I had a, a couple minutes ago about rites of passage or initiatory rites. Our culture is not set up for it, so we have to be actually pretty devoted or sort of footloose and frenzy free, or we need to be fairly affluent to have the luxury to do rites of initiation, uh, And which I think you're pointing to some version of, yeah, ultimately, culturally, it would probably be way more effective to have elders and youngers. That, that looks not so much at who we are as a, quote, man, who we are as a human. What is our right place? How do we be in right relationship with self, other, the more than human world? Um, th- those feel important. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Stephen Jenkinson, who's got Orphan Wisdom yeah. School. Um, he makes a great distinction that I have a lot uh, I really value, which is olders versus elders. Totally. Olders are just old people and actually not really doing anything versus elders who essentially take their rightful place and they have something to offer and they have enough wholeness to offer it. And that is what's required uh, for us to actually be able to ask a question to somebody. They've got to be elders, not just elders. Well, yeah. And, and how many elders really want to be called elders because out of their own need to feel validated in their own sense of sort of meaninglessness. Well, yeah, back to the story of I earned this respect just by virtue of having more chronological years on my, in my life. Totally. Which is part so of the I, problem. I want to, I want to push, I want to push a little here. And I think it's, it's also a push to send us off into the next episode. And, and I want to, and, and so here's what I, you can tell me if you want to, if it's okay that I leave you with this. Um, I, cause I hear the two of you answering soul questions and I love it. And I think there's a very internal journey um, and recognition of where we're at as individuals. As an organizer, I'm curious to ask, you know, the, the tactic of a men's group is, is, is what it is. And I, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll use, I, I, I'm also Jewish and as a, as, and, and Jewish communities organize around traditionally around a minion. You don't pray with less than 10 people together. That means mm-hmm. you have a community, a first rite of passage that we, you know, this is, um, millennia old. You have a bar mitzvah when you're 13 is when supposedly your rite of passage into manhood is. And I think that's so outdated. 
Right. As an organizer, I'm like, well, no, I want another rite of passage, at least one when I'm 18. I'm going to need another one when I'm 23. I'm probably going to totally. need one when I'm 27. But, yeah. but in order to organize those kinds of things, men's work, as we've been discussing it, a little bit amorphous. I'd like to morph. I'd like to understand the containers that the two of you see emerging around us. And, and not just emerging, you two, are, you two lead men's groups and, in a sense, assemble community. Now, those communities sometimes are like for 10 sessions and then they disperse and go off back into individual life or sometimes belong to an ongoing group that is your own. Um, and those, as a, that's what I, when, when I say that these are like emerging young containers I'm curious as to what are the containers, the communities that we are creating that will outlast our generation and serve the next generation in regards to what are the rites of passage that we can create traditions around, new traditions. We're creating new communities. They don't, they, I mean, monotheism is also failing us in many ways. We're, we're, we're reverting back to pagan culture. I hear both of you discussing our, our attunement and our relationship with, a, with, a, with that inner voice, which I consider to be a religious aspect of our own individuality. And my next question is, how are we organizing around that? So that it's not, we don't all have to come up with this every time by ourselves when we reach 30 and are suddenly like, fuck, I got to go find Jeff or Peter to walk me through it. But what are the communities, what are we doing as organizers on a larger scale? And of course, I'm also political around this. We're realizing that Brett Kavanaugh is not an appropriate Supreme Court justice. We're realizing that Trump is not an appropriate president. Like this, this uh, to me, these all reflect back to how are we organizing around these things on both spiritual, individual, community, and larger scale levels. Um, and obviously, please don't answer now. I don't know that we, I'd love to, I can hang out for another hour and a half, but I, I think that pee, So I can't hang out for that. <laughs> That's an inside joke of me and Mika because I pee a lot. Not to anyway. take away from that. Big statement. These are all the things that are that are coming to mind uh, it, it, that are uh, that are inspired by what what I'm hearing the both of you say. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And what's next? I, I, I mean, I, I I hear we're coming to an end. I, I have a lot of thoughts about all those things, and and I I, it, I will just say that it's there's like twi it's twin. There's the there's the the. The, the recognition of the people like Martin Shaw's and the storytellers out there who recognize the old stories and recognize that actually the so many of these rights are here among us if we can just remember these old stories and and leaders and communities that are coming together and 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 creating like uh, you know the the school of lost borders and the rites of passage journeys and these organizations all over the country that are creating what are like different versions of the same thing and so we can start to sort of get a and Martin Kiprechtel's uh, community of remembrance and all these different things. And then on the other side, this this tinge of grief about like the way that there's there's something in our culture, this individualist like everybody and the capitalist uh, necessity. Everybody's got to figure out their own way of doing it, and everybody's got to be the representative for it. And everybody has wants to have their own unique voice, and we can never get it together. Yeah, and people are getting it together, and I, I feel both of those, and um, imagine that that 
that that is I don't I don't know the answer, but that we will find some answers in that and also some grief in the sort of destiny of our of our like unmoored culture mm-hmm. that in some ways is just needing some kind of answers for which we maybe as yet can't imagine. Yeah, I'm going to jump in here too and 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 use a, a somewhat of a generalization and I think maybe an accurate one, not man or woman, but but to 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 do the masculine thing, no matter how you identify in terms of your gender and take a risk. That's the invitation and challenge I want to put out, which is uh, in this unmoored time, take a risk and specifically join a men's group. And, and my invitation would be to be with the discomfort of taking a risk and potentially being seen for all the ways in which that's hard and which that's brilliant as opposed to staying safe and living with the regret of not having tried a thing to go back to Jason's Mm -hmm. ethos. Nice. Peter, thank you so much for coming back. Yeah, man, you're welcome. I I get the feeling that there's so much to discuss and... Yeah, the skill I'm learning is how do I how do we create better sound bites so that we can actually share some clear, simple tools for our what did we call them? Fellow bozos, fozos. Uh, well, yeah, fellow bozos, <laughs> the fellowso ship. So we don't get lost. So that these, so that we can harvest some of these and share them. And I and I appreciate you being uh, with us in that in that learning curve again. Totally. I mean. I- I'm I'm totally game to to show up for you guys and and try to help you figure it out and uh, I just hope I can provide you content that feels somewhat worthy. So, well, yeah, keep working on it, Peter. Okay, I will. <laughs> I, well, no, I just say for myself. Like, there's times I just feel I'm just like, what I, I feel. I, it seems like it's com- maybe I complicate things. But uh, I don't know. Does it occur that way that I'm complicating things? Uh, it doesn't occur to me that you're complicating things, and you've got amazing vision for the big picture. Yeah, and that's the place where because that's the language I speak. Not so much Mika. We come from different worlds, so that mm-hmm. feels like a good tri- triumvirate where I can come in and go. I'm pretty sure you're talking about this, and that's my jam, and this is another way to say it. So yeah, totally. Not I don't I don't feel you making it more complicated. Mostly pointing to how complex and beautiful things are, and and that get all, yeah. gets pretty chopped up in our soundbite culture. It seems really simple to me. Like just to say real quick, it's like it's like the concept of man is is in service of an older syndrome that is basically. <laughs> the devil's plaything or whatever like you know like the, the history of western civilization and like yep and so subjugation what can we do domination to step, step out of that i guess appreciate what you guys are doing so thanks for having me on put down Absolutely. the devil's tool <laughs> all right again get off the devil's soon. swing set well, guys, peter great to see you man thanks for coming on yep you too take care i'll talk to you soon